Masechet Megillah, Daf Kafchet. We uh, started a series of statements about various rabbis who achieved longevity, and their students asked them, by what merit do they have that they achieve such a long life? So let's see some, uh, some examples, and hopefully we'll pick up some good advice. Shalu Tamidavet Rebi Perida. Says, how come you live so long? He says, in my life, no one ever came to the Midrash before me. And uh, so the coming but to, to early to the Midrash, you know, it's a good Midah, can they get Midah? You know, people always in such, such in a rush and, uh, you know, there's no time to do anything. But come early to the Midrash, spend those extra few minutes and don't worry, he gets long life. And he never uh, said uh, was uh, what led the zimun for Berkat Amazon in the presence of a kohen. He always gave the honor to a kohen, so that's nice to give a kohenim an honor. And he never ate from an animal without taking the uh, sections of the animal that should go to a kohen. Uh, now. Um, uh, technically, this would be this would apply to uh, to uh, 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 consecrated animals that the kohen gets those pieces. Um, but it seems like he's doing it even for regular meat. He uh, he wants to give the kohenim their portions even after the bet hamikdash is destroyed, and so that's a nice thing to give the kohenim honor again in another way. Then we're going to elaborate on him. says you're not allowed to from an animal that. You didn't set aside the parts that go to the Kohen, uh, the front uh, leg, the jaw, the more right leg. Um, and furthermore, Yitzchak says, if you eat from an animal without giving the Kohen his due, it's like eating produce that's table that you did not take to Ruma and Ma'aser, which does apply even now. Um, however, let halacha is not so, not like it be not like it be Ochanan, and one does not actually have to give uh, sections of an animal that is not consecrated to the Kohen. Now, nevertheless, he went above and beyond the law, and uh, he did that. Now, I mentioned that he didn't say Berkat uh, Amazon in front of, he didn't lead Berkat Amazon in front of a Kohen. Hold on, is that really even a good thing to do? He says, anyone who was a sage and he allows someone else to lead the Berkat Amazon, even if the person he's lead, who is allowing to lead is the Kohen Gadol, but that Kohen Gadol is not Ama'aretz, it's not proper. In other words, someone is a, is a sage, then the sage should take the honor because it's really the honor of the Torah that he is going first and leading in the Zimun. And if a person doesn't do that and he forgoes his own honor and honor of the Torah, then he would be chayav mita, pretty serious, just not for, just for giving someone else an honor of Zimun. Those who hate um, uh, Hashem uh, will deserve, they love death. Okay, that's true. And also we learn it as not those who hate, but those who cause others to hate. Uh, not, not literally, but uh, in a way, yes, because by giving honor to someone who's, who's Amaritz, then he's, uh, he's degrading the honor of Torah. And then people around who are sitting there say, oh, I guess the honor of Torah is not so great. The honor of a, just a regular Kohen is greater. The honor of someone who's uh, rich is greater. No, we should give honor to those uh, who are knowledgeable in Torah, and that will bring people to love Torah and respect it more, and therefore love Hashem. So that's the contradiction. How come? How could, how could it be Fidida do that? And uh, not take the give it to a kohen and not take it himself. Oh, he only did it when it was two people of equal stature. He was there, and there was another person, a kohen, there who was equal in his level of Torah. Fine, in that case, give it to the kohen. Uh, when all else being equal, how come you live so long? He says, I never received honor on account of the degradation of my fellow man. We'll see an example of that, that you, you put yourself up on the, and on the back of someone else being down. I never went to sleep angry 
uh, with the thoughts of cursing my colleagues in my mind. I forgave everyone before I went to sleep. Also, I was uh, uh, foregoing with my money. I was generous and I would give. Uh, uh, open-handedly. Now we're going to explain. What does that mean? So one time, for example, Rav Huna was carrying a hoe on his shoulder. And Rav Hana Bar Hanila came and he said, let me carry this hoe for you, right? You're, the, you're my teacher, great master. You shouldn't be have to carry something in public. And so Rav Huna said, says, listen, if you are accustomed to carry something like a hoe in your own town, then fine, I, I will uh, allow you to uh, help me out with it. However, if not, if you wouldn't, if you needed to bring uh, a hoe, shovel, someone, one place to another, if you wouldn't do it yourself because it's above your honor, and then I don't want, then I, I don't let you do it for me. I don't want to have, have uh, honor by a degradation of yourself, right? If you would do it anyway, then that is fine. Okay, so that's a good example. And I would never uh, go upon my bed with a curse of my colleague on my uh, on, on my mind. For example, Morzutra would do this whenever he would go to his bed. He would say, "Sharile, I forgive anyone." who uh, caused me any suffering every night. We have a custom, we do that on Yom Kippur. That's even nicer to do it, um, to do it every night mm, as part of uh, Kiryat Shema Al-Hamita. To be foregoing, generous with one's money. For example, the master said that Yov, he was like that. And he would always leave a little change, a tip for the shopkeeper. Right? You, know, you know, take a penny, leave a penny, leave a tip here. Right, so he'd always leave something for the shopkeeper. Uh, it's a small amount, and nevertheless, he didn't. It wasn't exacting on change. If it was, uh, you know, nine ninety-five. Keep the change. So Rabbi Akiva goes to the elder, and he says, "By what merit do you have to live long, such a long life?" This is a great story. His attendants, Gavze, literally it means eunuchs because eunuchs were often used as, uh, as uh, attendants. Uh, probably in this case, it just came to mean any, any servants or attendants. So the servants of Rebbe come and they start beating Rebbe Akiva because they found his question disrespectful. You know, you go to someone and you say, wow, how come you're so old, right? It's not a very nice thing to say. Um, uh, and it sounds like, you're like, you know, it sounds like almost a curse. You know, like, why, why are you still around, right? How, how'd you, how, how do you, how do you live to be so old like you are? So the servants thought that that was not nice. They start beating him up. Akiva goes and climbs up uh, a, date, a, a date palm to be, uh, to get away from them. So the Akiva all the way on top of the, of the palm tree calls down to Rabbi Nechonyah and he says, wait, I have a question. How come, regarding the Korban Tamid, it says, Kebes Ha'ehad, Eta Kebes Ha'ehad, right? Why does it say one sheep? Kebes is already in singular. So just say Kebes and I'll know that it's only one. Says, oh, I see. I, 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 not, this, kid, this guy is not, he's not a wise guy just trying to be, be annoying. Rather, he is a sage, and he's asking a serious question. Oh, so okay. Leave him alone. Let him come down from the tree, and let's have a conversation. So he answers him. This teaches the word extra word one that it should be not any old uh, lamb, but you should pick the best one of the flock. You have a flock, and you're going to pick one for the korban tamid. Pick one that's that's the best. Good. And now that regarding your other question, now I see that you're a serious Tamil Chacham. You came not to not to make fun of me that I'm so old, but rather you came because you really want to know and learn Torah and understand. So I will give you good advice. I never accepted a gift. Right? There's no gift without strings attached. 
And I was never particular about what is owed to me. I was foregoing about my honor. And also I was generous with my money. Well, here's some examples. We bring examples of other sages that also had this trait. When the house of the Nasi, right, he's the, 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 the patriarch, uh, uh, the, the head of the Jewish community. So most people, you know, he, he's also very wealthy and he has a lot of power in charge. When he, when the Nasi's house would send a gift to the Bialazad, he refused it. Because uh, uh, um, I think it's, he didn't refuse like gifts, but in particular, when you accept uh, from the house of the Nasi, then, uh, then you're attached to them, you're dependent on them. And there was always a lot of politics and sometimes some tension between uh, the individual rabbis and the house of the Nasi. So he didn't want anything from them. Don't do me any favors. And also, when the house of the Nasi would invite a Bielazar over for a meal, he wouldn't go. He didn't, he didn't want to be, uh, be indebted to them. And his, the way his excuse was, he said, what, you don't want me to live? He who hates gifts will live. So if I, if you would give me a gift and I accept it, then you want me, you, you, you want me to die, right? You don't want me to live? That's Pasuk and Mishle. Okay. Uh, Rabbi Zerah did the same thing. When he would get a gift from the house of the Nasi, he wouldn't accept it. However, when he got an invitation to go and eat there, he would go because he reasoned, it's, I'm not doing them, they're not doing me a favor, I'm doing them a favor. Me, by going there, I am honoring them with my presence. And so, therefore, uh, they, I, won't feel in, they, I won't feel indebted to them. It'll be quite the opposite that I will, uh, I will go and show myself there. And so he didn't feel like that was a, that was a problem of uh, the same as taking a gift. Um, okay, I remember some uh, some people who were who would sold to some stores, uh, big chains. If they sent a, sent a gift, the, the the chain was sent back. You received your gift. We destroyed it. Right? They didn't want their buyers to have uh, to be indebted to any of the any of the wholesalers. Okay. Also, I, I never was uh, was uh, 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 stood stood my ground uh, in terms of my honor. I was for I was always foregoing, even with even if someone insulted me and uh, owed me an apology. As Rava says, anyone who foregoes his what's coming to him in his honor, then from Hashem from Shamayim, they will for, will forego that person's sin sins. As it says, no Avon, for whom will Hashem bear the burden of their sins for someone who foregoes a transgression that someone else does to them. Therefore, the way that we are forgiving with others, so too Hashem will be forgiving with us. By what merit did you, do you have to live so long? This is what? Well, you're done with me already? Right? You think I've lived long enough? You're, you're, you're sick of me? That you want me to die? That you're asking such a question? This is how come you live so long already? Right? No, that's not how I meant the question. You're, you're my rabbi. I want, I, this is Torah. I need to know good advice on how to live so that one can live long. Okay, fine. I never uh, looked at a wicked person. And the problem here is not simply looking at like a picture of them, but when you look at, you have to go and meet, and then you're giving some honor to a wicked person and you're supporting uh, wickedness, right? Don't meet them. Don't, uh, don't, don't look at them. You see them in the street, just go, go the other way. Don't give them any recognition. Person should not look at here. It's even more, even at the likeness of a wicked man. Maybe just by looking at him, you kind of think about think about he might be influenced by his thoughts. This is when uh, Yehoshaphat 
and uh, King Yehoram, they, were get, they got together to make a war against Moab, and they called the Navi, and Navi says, if not for the face of Yehoshaphat, who was, a, who was a good king, I would not come to see you, Yehoram, the evil king, right? Which shows that only because there's a good king there, that's why he came. Otherwise, he would avoid uh, the, the presence of an evil person. In that context, that's the, that's the point that, you know, he doesn't want to give honor to an evil king by, uh, by coming to him and have a meeting with him. Nabi El Azar Amar was not going to listen anyway. Nabi El Azar Amar, Enav Kehosh and Amar Vahiki Zakeni Sakra Tichena, Enav Medot, Bishum Distakel Besavarasha. I'm also the, this person, a person who sees a, a, a countenance of an evil person, that person's eyes will become dim. And we see that Zakeh Yisrak, when he became old, his eyes became dim. He couldn't see. Why? Because when he was younger, he had to look at Esavarasha. And so that made his eyes dim. The Hagar Maleh, hold on, question. Is that what caused Yitzchak to go blind? We have another reason, another Midrash, Shama to be Yitzchak, right? It happens to be to be Yitzchak, who's telling us why Yitzchak is blind. We saw this once before recently, that a, 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 a curse of even a commoner, even if not, not, a, not a prophet, uh, should not be light in your eyes. Should it be Melech? Abimelech, I mean, he's not a commoner, he's, uh, you know, head of a country. But nevertheless, he's, uh, um, he's a commoner compared to uh, Navi. Even Abimelech, he cursed Sarah, and it didn't happen, nothing, that, that bad, some bad thing didn't happen to Sarah, but it happened to her child, Yitzchak. This is after they, uh, Abraham and Sarah are, are with Avimelech, and Abraham says, Sarah, oh, she is my sister, and Avimelech takes her, and then he has all kinds of uh, problems and diseases, and he sends her away, and he gives her this, uh, 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 ju- some jewelry, and he says, this jewelry will be for you as a kisut anayim. A simple reading of that is it's going to be some kind of eye jewelry, some kind of uh, veil uh, that would go over the eyes. And so this, you know, this, uh, this is a beautiful thing, um, but happens to, but the Midrash is taking it saying, kesut ela anayim. This should be for you a cause of blindness. Rabbi Melch is saying, you tricked me and blinded me that you told me I, oh, you, I was, uh, you were uh, my, his sister, but instead of his wife and caused me this. Therefore, there should be covering of your eyes in your family. And uh, sure enough, that, that is the sword. This is the reason why Yitzchak became blind in his old age. So we see a different reason, uh, not because Yitzchak used to look at Esav. So which one is it? Which is the real reason? And the answer is, both of them, one by itself, maybe it wouldn't have happened, but both of these, because it was a predisposition from his mother and Yitzhak himself looked at Esav, that is why. We can learn it from another pasuk in Mishle, that to uh, gaze upon a, an evil person is not good. We don't want to uh, receive that influence by looking at the person. When Nabi Yoshua ben Korcha was dying, uh, he said to Amarle, the B Barakhani. So the Biudanasi said, My teacher, please give me a blessing. His blessing is, May you live half of my days. This is a very strange blessing. I mean, you know, how old was he? Whatever, he lived to a long age, maybe he lived till 100. So you, maybe you may you live a half of my days till 50. Well, so the B is complaining. What kind of blessing is that? Are you giving a blessing only half your days? And so the teacher's response is, what about your kids? Right? He's the Biuda Nasi, is the Nasi. And the Nasi is a lifetime position. After he dies, it goes to his son. He says, I'm worried about your sons. What are your sons going to do their whole life? If you live till the law, you live till 120, right? And then your sons are going to be, uh, be uh, 90. And still, what are they going to do that whole time? They're just going to tend cattle, right? You have to give a, 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 you have to give a chance for your children to take leadership positions. And as the longer you stick around, then you're going to be the leader, and your kids not going to have any uh, any leadership experience. So that's my blessing that you should retire early. <laughs> okay, um, that's it. There's nothing else said about that about that story. Uh, very interesting.
אבו בר איהי ומנימין בר איהי, אחד אמר תתילי דלא אסתכלי בגוי, ואחד אמר תתילי דלא עבדי שותפות בהדי גוי. אוקיי, these two children of איהי, they said, one of them said, I deserve reward because I never looked upon a non-Jew. And the other says, I deserve reward because I never made a business partnership with a non-Jew. The problem there is, First, these non-Jews are probably idolaters, and if you make a business deal with them, and then they're going to say, wait, did you do this? Did you, did you promise, right? Did you promise to my God? And then he's going to put the Jew into a situation where he's going to have to promise to some idolatrous God. Okay, it says Goy here. If you look in the Vilna printed edition, the regular printed edition, it says Kuti instead of Goy. That's because of censors. Uh, the Christians thought anytime it's Goy is referring to Christians, which uh, it's not. I mean, it's not. It's talking about uh, anyone, or especially an idolater. Uh, so therefore, they changed it to Kuti, meaning a Samaritan. However, all manuscripts say Goy, and that's one of the benefits of this current edition here, that they uh, revert back to the correct wording Goy rather than Kuti. How come you live so long? I never got angry in my house. And, and yelled at my the members of my household. And nor did I ever walk ahead of someone who was greater than me, right? This is out of respect. Someone greater, you should walk behind them. And I never even thought about Torah in a disgusting place that's smelly, in which you're not allowed to think about Torah in such a place. I never walked for Amot without either thinking about Torah or wearing and or wearing tefillin. There's some tension between these two because uh, if he doesn't work for Amot without Torah, then how can he, what, what does he do when he gets to a filthy place? Maybe he'd try to avoid them, those filthy places, so that he wouldn't have to stop thinking about Torah. I never fell asleep in the Bet Midrash. Right? He's such a, uh, uh, he's such a good matmid uh, 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 um, that he, he, he learns all the time. It doesn't just fall asleep. It's not respectful to fall asleep there. I wasn't happy when my, my, uh, my colleague stumbled. I see a colleague, he's, uh, either he trips or he makes a mistake in the halakha, and you say, ah, ha, ha, look, how, look, how, look uh, how, how, how dumb he is. Um, so I was never happy about that. I was supportive by my friends. I never called a friend by a derogatory nickname. Like we saw this come up a few times, uh, nor by uh, even a regular nickname, even if it's not derogatory. Uh, generally, even if people don't say so, they generally like uh, to be called by their regular names. All right. So that was uh, that ends the series of people who lived, a long, who lived a long life and all the good advice that they have for that. Next, Mishnah ve'od amar b'yehuda beta k'neset shecharev en maspidim betocho. A bet k'neset, even if it fell into ruin, you're not allowed to make eulogies in it. This is true for a regular bet k'neset also, right? And generally, that is the halacha, that one does not make eulogies um, uh, funerals in a in a bed knesset. Ve'en mafshilin betocho chavelin. Also, to stretch out and repair ropes, to twist ropes. Uh, to do that, you need a, a large area because you got you know these long ropes and you want to twist them. And so bed knesset is useful because it's a big area, big open space. Uh, nevertheless, that's not what a bed knesset is used for. It's for tefillah and Torah and not for uh, manufacturing. And even if it if it got, if it's in ruins and empty, you don't uh, lay lay uh, um, a net in it to to trap animals, right? Or to uh, fix the uh, or to fix it, As even though it's a large open space, it might be ruins. It might be a bed that that's you know just uh, either empty or 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 dilapidated or, or or raised to the ground. Nevertheless, it remains. It retains its kedusha. Or if it's there and it has a roof, even if it's not used. You can't use the roof to uh, dry out fruit. No matter what, you cannot make the Bet Knesset into a shortcut and go from one side, you know, one street to another through the Bet Knesset. That's not what it's for. And in general, anything that's kadosh is, cannot be instrumentalized. You have to use it for in and of it for itself, for its holy purpose, and you can't use it for any personal gain. We learn this from Pasuk and Vayikra, as I will bring desolation to your holy places. You see, they're still called holy places, 
even after they are destroyed. And so therefore, a, uh, a Bet Knesset, even if it's in ruins, still retains its holiness. If um, it's all dilapidated and broken down, and now grass and weeds start growing in it, don't, uh, don't remove the weeds because we want people to see and they will uh, cause them anguish. And that's good. People will say, can, can you believe what happened to this Bet Knesset? It used to be thriving and now look, weeds are growing. And maybe if enough people feel anguish, they'll get together and they will actually fix and rebuild the Bet Knesset. Good. So this is a that's expanding on the Mishnah and says, Bet uh, Knesset, any Bet Knesset, this is talking about a regular one that's, that's being used. Um, uh, we should not be lightheaded in them. And we don't eat or drink in a Bet Knesset. This is important that sometimes is, uh, is uh, not always followed strictly. Um, and also don't adorn oneself and, you know, uh, uh, comb your hair, make yourself look nicer in a Bet Knesset. Um, and or just to hang out, wander around, do some exercise and, you know, get those steps in. Uh, and, uh, and you don't go in there because it's hot out and you're looking for shade or because it's raining out and you don't want to get rained on. This is not, you don't use it as all these are for personal gain. Then must be din and also a eulogy for an individual. That is not proper, right? You're using it. This is not, it's not a, it's not a prayer event. It's not a Torah event. Okay, so it's very important, but not, not the use of a Bet Knesset. Aval korin bahen, bishonin bahen. You can read, you can read Tanakh in it. You can recite halachot, mishnayot in it. And you can make a eulogy for the public. If there's going to be a lot of people there for, uh, for a Torah scholar who dies, someone important, that a lot of people are going to come and benefit from hearing the speeches from a sage and so on, um, then it is permitted. All that was referring to a bed Knesset that's occupied and used. But if it's in ruins, then we leave it and don't use it altogether and we allow grass to weeds to grow and you can't remove them so that people will feel anguish. So you see this is a building on the Mishnah and giving, um, giving more examples. Okay, now question on this Braita, Asabim, Mandachar Shemaihu. There's something wrong with it. If you, if you didn't have the Mishnah, then it would be really hard to understand what Abiyu is talking about. So when is this true, Biyushuvan? First of all, that's not true. These things are not allowed even after it's in ruins, right? And then it says, then you leave it and you should what? You should make grass grow? Is that who, where, where'd you talk about grass that all of a sudden you're giving us laws about what you should do with it, right? There's a, there's a disconnect here. And so, I mean, it makes sense if it's building on the Mishnah. But so here's where have the right way to understand it. Uh, these are the where words are missing. And this is what it means to say. When a Bet Knesset is occupied and being used, then you should broom, you should broom it. And you should uh, sprinkle water on the floor. Yeah, they had dust floors, kind of like uh, if you ever have a clay uh, tennis court, right? You have, to, you have to brush it, and then you put sprinklers on it, and then that way the dust settles down. And that's where they, they clean, that's how they clean their floors. And so you do that so that uh, weeds will not grow uh, in it. That's the proper thing to do. And then the Buddha adds, I am a Thai Bishuvan. When should you make sure that weeds don't grow when you're when the Bet Knesset is occupied in use? But if it's in ruins, then let the weeds grow. And if they did grow, don't remove them so that people will feel anguish and then hopefully come back and rebuild. It's very interesting. That when they would build a Bet Knesset in Bavel, they would do it on condition that if this should ever fall into disuse, then it will not be Kadosh. The second that you build it and say, this is a Bet Knesset, then it has all these strictures that we just mentioned. So we make it on condition that it won't have such holiness of a Bet Knesset and it will not be permanent. And, you know, if we need to, to if, if it uh, becomes ruined one day, then it'll be okay. Or even now, while we're using it, 
where it won't have the full kedusha because, uh, well, it seems to be easier to do in Bavel as a kind of lesser level of kedusha. Okay, this I mean this is applicable today. A lot of times, you know, if you have a main sanctuary, that's obviously Beth Knesset. But a lot of uh, a lot of synagogues have other rooms that are sometimes used for minyan, sometimes used for 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 a party, sometimes used to eat breakfast, and they use for all kinds of things. And now, so if you put an Adon Kodesh in there and they use it for a Beth Knesset one time, and now that has kedusha Beth Knesset, now you can't use it for anything else. So that kind of thing is good to make a condition. Listen, we're going to use it. For prayer sometimes, but we're not designating it officially as a Bet Knesset so that you can um, have a social hall. Okay. And even so, even though in Bavel they did make a condition, and so fine, maybe you can eat and drink or some things, but to be lightheaded, it, no matter what, is not proper. What do we mean about being lightheaded? This refers to making business calculations. You come and have a business meeting in the, in the middle of a Bet Knesset, right? It says, oh, this is my share. What do you get? How much? That's totally improper. If you have a bet knesset in which you do business calculations in it, by the way, we're not talking about for sedaka. That is that is permitted, right? You want to decide how who's going to get the funds. How do we do that? That's uh, that's for public good. We're talking about for personal business things. Any bet any bet knesset that they use for to have business meetings in, um, you will also have to use it to house dead bodies. We ask, wait, could that, you, you really mean that? Is there no other place that uh, you would put them? Don't you have a morgue or something? The point is that this is a consequence that um, because of doing this, in the end, there'll be a case where you'll have a body that there's, there's not, no one to bury it, and no one's going to take care of it, and then the bet test is going to be the only place that you can that you can find because nobody, nobody wants to pay uh, to 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 uh, take care of the body. And so, um, uh, if you disrespect the bet test, it, it will you will have more cause to that for it to be caught, to to be disrespected itself. Okay, then the otin bahen. You're not allowed to like put on makeup or brush your hair, make yourself look nice in the bed. Can I say it? You should look nice before you get bed. Can I say it? Not in the bed. Can I say it? The sages and their students, they are allowed. If they need to, you know, fix their tie or whatever, brush their hair, they can do that. We call the bed. Can I say it? The house of the sages, right? And usually it's in Semichut, be like, um, um, in Hebrew, Bayit is a house. Bet Midrash, Bet Knesset, Bet Sefer is in Semichut, the house of something. In uh, in Aramaic, Beta is the is the regular is the standalone form of a house. Be something is a Rabbanan. So the point is, we're undoing the Semichut to show you that the word Be comes from house. It's called the house of the of the rabbis because. They're there all day. They're sitting there. They're studying. And so since they are basically living there, um, that, therefore, you don't have to make them leave if they have to adorn themselves, make themselves look nicer. Uh, since they're there all day anyway, and they're showing their respect and using it for Torah, then it's okay. They can go ahead and you know, brush their hair while they're in there. You don't walk into a bad place to get shade or to get away from the rain. Here's an example. One time, Ravina Ravada were standing outside and they were asking a question of Rava. All of a sudden, it started raining. So they went inside into the Bet Knesset. And they justified this by saying that we're not going into the Bet Knesset because of rain. But rather because we're speaking about Torah and halacha, you have to have clarity of mind and you can only have clarity of mind if you're not worried about the rain falling on your head, right? You have to have a clarity of a day, like you need a clear mind, you need a clear day with a nice northern wind that's uh, keeping you cool. And so if you have bad weather, we're not going, we're going into Bet Knesset for the purpose of studying Torah, not just to get out of the rain. And that's why it's permitted. Here's a question. What should you do if you need to call someone from the from, from, from the from Bet Knesset? Right? Someone comes and says, you know, can you uh, get my husband out there? I need to talk to him. So now you're gonna go in just to call the person out. 
but now you're, you're passing through, you're using the Beit Knesset, not for its own purpose. You're not going in for prayer or study. Uh, you're just going to go use it for a different per personal purpose. So how would you do that? And the answer is, if a person is, is knowledgeable, so let him, let him come to the Beit Knesset and recite a halacha uh, by, by heart, because uh, you know, a Mishnah that he knows by heart, and then that's good. But the first one is if he knows the halacha, he knows something in depth. The second one is if he's just a memorizer, he doesn't know the deep meaning, the meanings of the halachot, but he memorized of some mishnayot. Fine, so recite a mishnah. If he only knows Tanakh by heart, this was you know the low-level guy in those days, right? So fine, say a, say a pasuk. Okay, even if you don't know the whole Tanakh by heart, you know something. If he knows nothing by heart, so remember, there's no books. So uh, go to a, a child who's studying there and says, please tell me, give me a pasuk. What pasuk are you studying? And the kid will say, pasuk, good. Now he learned something in the Bet, in the bet, bet Knesset. And now we can go in and call someone. If not, not even that, so he should just remain in the Bet Knesset for a little while, a few seconds. After all, says, right? Uh, uh, praiseworthy are those who even just sit in the Bet Knesset, just enjoying the holiness of the atmosphere. One feels uh, uplifted. And even that is something. So do something in there and then go ahead and do your errand, whatever it is. And so this would be, you know, true if you have to, you know, go in and go through a bed Knesset or get some bed Knesset or whatever it is. Um, uh, don't just do that, but also stop for a few seconds and have, have some Torah learning in there. You are allowed to have a eulogy that's for the benefit of the public. For example, so we want to know an example. So Rav Chista made a gesture to, to show what he means. Rav Chista and Rav Sheshat were there together. So when someone, the student asked, what does it mean to have a public eulogy? Rav Chista pointed to Rav Sheshat. Rav Sheshat pointed to Rav Chista, for example, him. Okay, what do they mean by that? I think there's two interpretations. One is, if either one of these sages passed away, then, and that would be a public eulogy, because everybody's going to want to come uh, to them. I don't like that ex explanation, because that suggests that each one is pointing to the other, and maybe they're doing it in a funny way. Uh, rather, I think a better explanation is that if either one was speaking at a eulogy, that itself would make it a public, a public eulogy, because everybody, oh, Rav Shashat is speaking, for, you know, at whatever person's eulogy. That person must have, you know, some uh, some standing for uh, Rav Shashat to come and give the hesped. But uh, since he's coming, a lot of people are going to want to come and they're going to want to hear and he's going to say important words, words of Musad, Torah. And so, therefore, that is a public benefit that you're allowed to do in the Bet Knesset because it's for, for you're doing it for, for a good cause, for a holy purpose, for the benefit of everyone. Uh, here's some more examples. So Raflam eulogized his daughter-in-law in the synagogue. And he said, first of all, because either because of my honor or the honor of the deceased, every a lot of people are going to come, either to hear me, right? Or because they know uh, they know the daughter-in-law. So even if the daughter-in-law daughter herself was not uh, the great uh, great person of the generation, either the eulogizer or the deceased um, is sufficient to bring a, a crowd, then it's a public, uh, it is considered a, a public need. He gave a eulogy for a certain sage and his benedict. Whether it be because of my honor or because of the honor of the deceased, either way, we're expecting a lot of people here. And so it was permitted to do it in the Bet Knesset. Okay, this is important because, um, I mean, in different um, communities have different customs in the Spanish Portuguese. They only did, in Sherith Israel, they only made, they made a, uh, a, a, a funeral in the Bet Knesset for either the rabbi of the synagogue or someone who was a previous parnas, a president of, the, of it. So that's uh, considered public good. So that there it depended on the deceased. Um, but in the Syrian community, we have a custom that developed, I don't know if it was ever officially authorized, that we have our funerals in uh, the old, uh, mostly disused 
Beit uh, Knesset in Bensonhurst, and this is come came to be came to be done. Uh, maybe because it was done for important people, and then not everybody's important. Uh, but the truth is that even you know, however important the deceased is, usually you have, you have rabbis, important people coming and speaking also, and they benefit from that. So maybe there is uh, some halachic justification based on this uh, for for that practice, even though most communities do not do that. Okay. He himself went and made a eulogy for a certain sage who used to come to Eretz Yisrael. He wasn't. He wasn't. He didn't live in Eretz Yisrael, but he would come often. So Reshakish knew him. Reshakish lived in Israel, and this sage he learned just halachot. He wasn't, you know, not a super in-depth person, and he was in the back of the 24th row. He was like in the, you know, the lowest class. The, 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 the more, the, the smarter the person was, uh, they would go to the front row. So he's like, he just barely made it all the way in the back row. So even though he was not the greatest sage, nevertheless, Rashi says, he knows some halachot, he knows some ishtayot by heart. So he deserves a eulogy. Woe to a land of Israel that has lost a great man. Even though he, he didn't even live in Israel, he didn't know that much. But nevertheless, even some halachot that he knows, that's a, that's a, that's a great contribution that he lost. And can, by contrast, there was another man. He knew everything, not only the regular halachot, the Mishnayot, he knew the Sifra, Sifre, that's the Midrash halacha on, on the books of the Torah. Very different, not everybody knows that, very difficult. And to know it means he knew it by heart. Tosefta, he knew the, the other, uh, uh, other, uh, other Tanaitic statements, and he died. So now this is going on in Babel. They told Rahman that this person died. This pidemor. So Ram Nachman said, so and I asked him, can you can you make a eulogy for him? He was a great sage, right? He knew, I don't know anybody that knows any all of this by heart, uh, or even knows any all of this. So Amar Ram Nachman says, What what am I gonna say? What am I gonna say in this eulogy? Hai sanad Fred Hasad, a great, a great line. This is oh, we lost a bag of books. Right? Who who cares? So what that he knew it by heart? He was not really a great sage. What you see here is that in Babel, unlike in its in Israel, they respected someone who memorized a lot. This was very important, right? And a lot of people were impressed when you see someone memorize a lot. That shows uh, that shows greatness. But not in Babel. In Babel, they uh, they uh, prized mostly a dialectical ab- ability, the ability to ask a question, to ask many questions, to resolve the questions, to challenge, to notice. Uh, c- comparisons, right? I mean, all the shakla v'tarya that we find and the bavli, which is even so much so much greater and and um, and uh, difficult uh, than in the Yerushalmi. So he says, this person, yeah, he knew everything by heart. So what? It's a bag of books, right? I have everything uh, on, on my on, on my phone. Uh, that's uh, all, all the text. I could just open it up. They didn't have that, but uh, right, that was easy to come by just to memorize it. It was not so respected. So he says, ah. Well, well, I have nothing to say for his eulogy. Okay, it's a fantastic story. Uh, shows you the, the, the type of learning that they valued. Tahazi and the Gemara itself now uh, reflects on this and says, Tahazi ma ben Look at the contrast between the strong ones, the harsh ones of Eretz Yisrael. Uh, Eretz Yisrael, Reshakish, was known for his, his harsh nature. When it comes to this, you see how easygoing he is. And he's, he's, uh, he's tolerant and open to give honor to someone, even though he, just, he only learned uh, some halachot, whereas the chassid, so-called chassidim of Babel, who are so saintly, which they are and great, but look how Rav Nachman treats disrespectfully and is so harsh about this person who otherwise knows everything. Okay, so this is probably, um, um, this is an interesting line because it's in the Tamud Bavli, and yet it's uh, derogatory about the people of Babel as opposed to Israel. So this must be a, a, a later gloss uh, about some earlier time, uh, but we see that what the values were in that earlier time. That's a very important Gemara. Okay. Tenan Hatam, we learned the Mishnah Pirkeavot, Ude Ishtamesh Betaga Halaf, that's ones who makes use of, a, use of the crown of the Torah will perish, right? Um, Taga is also like an, an Arabic Taj, 
Uh, that's what we call the, the Aleppo, the crown of Aleppo. The Aleppo Codex was called there the Taj. So that's another name for a Torah. Someone who makes use of the crown, meaning of Torah, for his own personal benefit will perish. Uh, okay, so I mean, the Peshat is talking about someone who uses his own Torah knowledge, like he says, you know, let me cut in front of the line, let me get a discount because I'm a Torah sage or something like that. But here the Reshakish says this applies to someone who makes use of someone who knows halacha. And so he, he's, he allows himself to get a favor from a, a great sage, Kitra Shel Torah, because that person, the a, a person walking around who knows Torah, that person is himself the crown of the Torah. Now, so here's an example of a story. Uh, it's a person should better make use of, meaning ask a favor from someone who has studied four of the six Sedarim of Mishnah and not make use of, meaning get a favor from, someone who has taught four of the six uh, sedarim of Mishnah. Okay, first of all, this is very interesting, just the fact that it talks about four uh, out of the six, because um, we know we, ha- we have only four, uh, we have Masichtot of, of Tamud Bavli, we have the commentary of Tamud Bavli only on four sedarim of the Mishnah. Right? We don't have any on uh, Zira'im and not on Taharot, which were not really relevant. Those halachot were not relevant and therefore not studied so as much and not studied on, in the regular curriculum in Babel. Kodashim technically also was not really relevant in Babel or after the Bet HaMikdash was destroyed. And nevertheless, they, the idea was if we study the laws of Korbanot, it's like we do bring Korbanot. And so that was studied and we do have a Tamud Bavli on that. Although not Tamud Yudushami, Tamud you do have Zira'im because that was relevant in Eretz Yisrael, but not Kodashim. So fascinatingly, in both Tamud and uh, Bavli and Yudushami, we have four uh, Sedarim covered. And so, um, you know, is it, is it, we just did we lose the other two? And the answer is no, likely not. They never existed. Um, and you can tell that from here, uh, where you see that the common thing was for people to study four of the six sedarim or teach four of the six sedarim. Okay, so this is a great, great uh, source to remember here. And the point here is that someone who taught is on a high level, who, sorry, who learned the four sedarim, he knows them by heart. Right, that person is a high level, even higher level is someone not only who learned it himself but has taught it. And so, you know, if you see someone like that, then you should do them of them them in honor. Don't allow them to do a favor and honor for you. The great sage was walking on the way, and they found he got to uh, he got to a pool of water. So some person comes and puts the shakish on his shoulder, so that shoulders, so that shakish doesn't have to get wet, and he will carry him over the water. While they're while he's being carried on the carried through this uh, through this water, Marle uh, Karit. Shakish asked the person, do you know, do you know Tanakh? Yes, I know Tanakh. He probably knows it by heart. Ah, okay, that's, the, that's no big deal. Everybody knows Tanakh by heart, right? Tenet, uh, have you learned, have you studied Torah Shabbat Peh? Have you studied Mishnayot? Yes, I studied, I know by heart, four Sedarim uh, of Mishnah. Says, you have hewn four mountains. I mean, this is really a big job to, to study uh, to study Mishnah by heart. And you have done this for four, four uh, sedarim, and yet you bear the weight of Resh Lakish, meaning me uh, upon your shoulder, the son of Lakish, me upon your shoulders. Throw me into the water, right? In other words, he, Rishakish, he thought he was just a regular guy who was helping him out. Now that I realize that this person is a Tamid Chacham, he does not want to receive honor from the crown of Torah. And this person who's carrying him, he himself is an embodiment of the crown of Torah. So throw me overboard, right? I don't want to um, uh, make use of you. Says, no, no, it's pleasing for me that I can serve the master in this way. I want to. Don't worry about it. So Rashakish, okay, he's uh, staying on. All right, if so, and we're going to continue on this journey. At least let me teach you something, uh, something of Torah that I learned from the Bizera. It says, 
This is an important principle in the laws of Nida. This is uh, that the women of Israel, they took upon themselves a stringency that even if they see a drop of blood, small, a, a tiny size of a mustard seed, nevertheless, they consider that full Nida and Zava, and they have to wait seven clean days. This is a huge stringency. First of all, because it's a tiny, a tiny dot, less than the required amount. Furthermore, um, what, what is she going to be? If she is in the time of Nida, during her regular her regular menstruation, menstrual period, uh, when she expects it, then if she sees, even if she sees uh, 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 any amount of blood, she would be Tameh for seven days altogether, not seven clean days. And if she is Zava and she sees blood for one day, she would only be Zava for one day. She only becomes Zava Gedolaf if she sees blood three days in a row, then she has to count seven clean days. So the truth is that according to Halakha, she would not, no matter what, she would not have to count seven clean days just for one tiny drop of blood. So this is not the, the letter of the law. Nevertheless, the, the daughters of Israel, they took upon themselves the stringency that they would treat even a tiny drop of blood um, as if uh, as if it were a lot, a lot, and they would keep seven nikiyim. And this is basically the halacha even until today. Okay, and so this is what he what, what he taught while he was carrying him. Um, uh, you wonder this is it be. Uh, yeah. Okay. Um, there's a lot more to say about that, but not for now. Tana debe Eliyahu kolashone halachot muptachlos yuben haolam habam shene emar halichot olam lo altikir halichot ela halachot. All right. We say this often, so it's good to know what it means. Um, it was said in the in the teachings of uh, the the house of Eliyahu um, that anyone who studies halachot. Meaning uh, uh, a Mishnah or right or or some uh, practical halacha. Every halachot uh, here it doesn't say bechol yom. Okay, um, uh, so it, it is uh, is guaranteed that the person will be uh, a, a member of of the world to come. And how do we know this? Because it says in the word in pasuk in Habakkuk halichot olam lo. So the peshat of it is halichot olam. Uh, his ways, the ways of Hashem, are eternal, right? Halichot olam law. The ways of the world are are, are eternal. Um, Hashem's ways are eternal. But we are going to repunctuate it since uh, in those times they didn't have punctuation. So you can read it not as halichot, but rather as halachot, especially if it's spelled without a yud. And most things were spelled chaser. And so you read halachot, someone who studies halachot, Olam lo, that will, person will be um, uh, deserving of, uh, of Olam Haba, because if a learned person learns them, then he'll also come to do them, and then he'll lead a proper lifestyle and be deserving of the world to come. So a wonderful way of fulfilling this is daf yomi, when you're guaranteed that you're going to learn some halacha on a daily basis. Baruch Adonai Amen v'amen.